Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, I'm Jeanette Linfoot. I'm your host of Brave, Bold, Brilliant. And I am here today with a very special guest, Jackie Simmons. And Jackie is an absolute phenomenon in the world of HR. She's worked for some of the biggest brands around. Um, so back in the TUI days and first choice, so a career in travel, um, and you'll probably tell us a lot more about even before those days, but Group HR Director for TUI Group, um, Chief People Officer for Experian, EasyJet. Um, so there's so many things that you've done, but always been mainly in that world of HR. Um, and, you know, this podcast is all about how people can achieve their potential in life. So, and that's what you've done throughout your own career, but helped so many people as well. So welcome to the podcast, Jackie. Thanks, Jeanette. It's great to see you. Thank you. <laughs> so Jackie, honestly, we've known each other for quite a few years. We have, yes. Um, so God, I think probably back in 2006, I think, when I joined First Choice. In yes. fact, you convinced me to join. I remember. I remember <laughs> interviewing you <laughs> all those years ago. Exactly. Yeah. And here we are now. Um, gosh, 14 years later. But um, what would be a good place to start, Jackie? Do you want to just talk through your journey, kind of where I started for you and bring us up to date. Really. Yeah, That'd no, sure, I'll do. I, I sort of feel like I had a relatively um, so unusual start. I'm the eldest of uh, six children. Um, both my parents are Irish. Um, my mother was um, was brought up in one of those industrial schools in Ireland. So, um, you know, sort of, you know, a very sort of challenging upbringing for her as well. Um, I, um, you know pretty normal you know childhood went to secondary modern school um and I actually left school at 16 um and um went to work I did a secretarial course for a year um you know one of those things where you you go to a careers advisor at school you say I want to be a solicitor and they say no no why don't you be a secretary so um (laughs) did that and actually um that was one of the best things I did actually really trained well to be a, a PA um, and then when I started working, I started to work as a PA to a personnel manager uh, and actually started doing recruitment uh, for engineers. So I worked in the graduate recruitment team as well as being a PA to um, a, a personnel manager. And actually, this guy was an ex-colonel in the British Army, really super posh, um, and actually said to me, Jackie, why have you never done A-levels? I think you're really bright. You've got real potential. And in those days, in order to become a personnel manager, you had to have your IPD qualifications. Mm. And not only did you have to have A-levels, you also had to be 21. So I did both my A-levels in one year at evening classes whilst I worked full time mm. to work for him. Um, and still being only just 19 when I finished, um, I decided to go and live in France for a couple of years. Um, in fact, I went with a friend of mine, also called Jackie, um, and we went to, we were going to go for six months. I mean, remember, this is kind of 70s, early 80s, never been outside of London, um, never been anywhere. And we decide that we're going to go and live in the south of France and it would be good fun to go and learn French. So um, whilst I was there, um, I decided that rather than do my IPD as had been the intention that I would go to university, I'd had real exposure to a lot of graduates when I worked in the engineering company, all Cambridge graduates. And you know what? I had a real kind of, you know, light bulb moment thinking I'm just as bright as these guys. In fact, I've got far more common sense than they have. Um, And also realized early on that, you know, without that, comfort and confidence of an education I might hold myself back Mm. Um, so I wrote to every university in the country Um, no one would give me an offer Um, and I got myself uh, a place at um, Trent Poly which was Trent Poly Um, they even rejected me Um, and I said look if I stay one more year in France and I really get my French up to a good standard will you take me because then I'll have the equivalent of three A-levels so they said yes and so I went to Trent Poly and for I did my degree and then when I finished my degree 
Um, I couldn't get a job in HR. I'd always decided that I wanted to do HR. I couldn't get a job in HR, um, partly because graduate programs then weren't that available. Mm. Um, you know, it wasn't the profession it is today. Um, so I took, made a deliberate choice to go into recruitment. And so I went into recruitment um, and actually started recruiting tech, technical staff, programmers, um, AI engineers. Um, at that time, it was real, the kind of explosion regarding payments and card systems. Mm. So I specialized in that for a couple of years. Um, and then, which was a really good grounding, not only in business, but you kind of see the importance of really having talented staff. Um, and if I'd ever, if I'd worked in HR, the way I did afterwards, I'd never would have been a recruitment consultant because I had such confidence just to phone really senior people up and think that I would be the only person that they could speak to that day. <laughs> and then when you go on the other side, you realise you're getting inundated with those calls. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. Then I went travelling again. You can see a real theme here. <laughs> travelling is my big, my big love. Um, and then I started, when I got back, um, I then started with the Wellcome Trust um, in a recruitment role in in-house. Um, then I did my master's at evening classes. So I'm a real glutton for punishment working full time um, <laughs> while doing that. Stayed there three years, really great, excellent tra- training, best practice, fantastic organization. And But the person I worked for had been there a long time and she wasn't really moving. So I moved on. And in fact, she only left a couple of years ago. So it was wow. a good move. And we're still friends. So yeah. it, was, it was a good move that, that I moved. Um, and then I went to Hearst Magazines um, and I started as an HR advisor. On the day I started my job, my boss got sacked. She was the HR director. So I reported directly to the general manager, who was kind of like the deputy MD. Um, And then after 18 months, he made me head of HR. So I have to tell you, that was quite a big shock to be made the head of HR when I really had, when I look back in hindsight, really quite limited experience Mm. as as an HR advisor. Um, But, you know, I, I kept in touch with him and he always used to say, yes, but, you know, you had the potential and I could see that you could do it. But it never really felt like that at the time. So I stay. I ended up staying there um, for six years, of which four and a half were as head of HR. Then I moved to First Choice. Um, as you know, Jeanette, I stayed sort of fifteen <laughs> years at, at, at First Choice in Tui, and which was a wonderful, a really wonderful career experience. You know, I absolutely loved First Choice from the kind of minute I got there. Um, and actually had previously tried to get in there when it was owners abroad. Um, and I'll never forget my boss at the time when I got the job the second time around said, you you rejected me five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, all's well that ends well. Um, and I did a whole series of jobs there, you know, HR for tour operating, the airline distribution, did the work on the merger between First Choice and Thompson in the UK and then ended up as being the kind of global, you know, group HR director um, and, you know, loved every minute of that um, and had huge experience in change and transformation and, and really left because um, because the second merger meant the headquarters was pretty much moving to Hanover. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes it's, you know, your time to go as much yeah. as you love an organization and love everything about it. It was, a, it was just time to move on. Mm. So then I went to EasyJet for a couple of years um, and two years at EasyJet is like five years anywhere else. The pace was just amazing. Um, I absolutely love the people at EasyJet. I mean, really, in the same way I did at TUI, you know, really great people, fantastic people to work with. Um, but, you know, it, it was a smaller job for me in some respects. And also I was doing um, a six-hour round-trip commute um, yeah. to Luton. Um, and I felt, you know, that that also... I'd kind of, I'd been in the travel industry for a long, long time. And Mm. I suppose it coincided with me being pursued by um, another company and they couldn't, didn't leave me alone, really kept pursuing me to go and work for them. So I went to work for a company called Vion, who no one will have heard of, but, you know, I went to live in Amsterdam. It was a chance to change industry. So it's an industry I hadn't worked in, telecommunications and digital services, and also in markets I'd had no exposure to. Mm. So I'd had some exposure to Eastern Europe and Russia, um, but actually, you know, working in markets like Bangladesh, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan was an amazing Mm. experience. Um, So I I stayed there for a few years, again, as chief people officer, 
um, and now um, am, am our experience. So, uh, you know, and this is my fourth role as chief people officer. So, you know, quite a different um, industry. Um, but, you know, people are people. So, um, great, you know, great experiences, yeah. really. Yeah, God, I mean, so many amazing brands in all yeah, of that. And, yeah. and just picking up on a few things that you said, it, I love your, I love your, your story because left school at sixteen. You know, while well, eldest of six, I didn't yeah. realise it was yeah. a crowded house when you were very going. crowded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then, sort of, you know, so didn't follow a traditional path, I suppose, in terms of classic education in the order that a lot of people do, but. You mentioned about this early period where you knew deep down you were as good as everyone else. So why shouldn't you go and get your degree? And that tenacity yeah. when, you know, when you were over in France and sort of ringing round and not giving up yeah. and actually almost, you know, saying, no, if I do this, can will you take me then? Yeah. So where did that come from? That absolute drive and determination to, to sort of not accept that, hang on a minute, I, I can do this. I don't know really because you know you know my I think from early on I suppose I wanted to have a different life mm. you know in, in a way nothing there was anything wrong with kind of you know my life but I kind of felt and um, you know that I was my parents kind of made me really always taught me to you know believe in myself a lot and mm. um, I spent an I had a crowded house. <laughs> I spent an awful lot of time in the library, Jeanette. <laughs> it makes me sound like a real kind of, you know, um, nerd, but I really spent an awful lot of my life reading and probably escaping the noise, actually. So I think yeah. I learned a lot that way. But really, when I worked in the engineering company, and firstly, I had a boss who really believed in me mm. um, and exposed me to sort of to different things. And, and secondly, you know, I would meet these people and think, I am just as good as you. Mm. And so I don't know where that came from, but I strongly believed it. Yeah. Um, and so never gave up. Yeah. And I think that's great because I suppose then you were actually still, you were pretty young when yeah, you yeah. Had, that, had, had that. Yeah, I was belief. 16. Yeah. yeah, which is yeah. incredible because I mean, I talk a lot about the old imposter syndrome and people feeling yeah. that they're not good enough. And and actually, very often, I think with people that I talk to, it's not until they get a little bit older and a little bit wiser that they realise, yeah, actually, I am bloody good at what I do. Yeah. Whereas you had that belief really early on and that that's helped propel you forward, hasn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean I've never sort of been conscious about it in a no. way, I suppose, but... You know, and, and of course, I think everybody suffers from imposter syndrome and, you know, you do kind of get nervous about it. And, and you know, I defy anyone not to think that they mm. have that at some point. Um, but, you know, I feel like um, I've kind of got some inner steel, you know, in, in some ways. And, it, mm. and it's always about kind of moving forward. So there's never been a, a real plan, but you know, taking opportunities, trying to take opportunities mm. is always is always really what's helped me focus. Yeah, yeah. And and talking about being a woman in business, because, you know, I guess the world is changing, right, which is for the better, I think, as well in yeah. this area in terms of diversity, inclusion, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, very often you, you'd have had very, very senior roles with significant responsibility for, you know, tens of thousands of people in those organisations. And but very often in a quite a male dominated yeah. boardroom. So I don't know, did you ever feel feel that or did you just kind of roll with it and just think, no, I'll just focus on what I need to get done and, and Yeah, no, I mean I think you do feel it. It was quite interesting because when I worked at Hearst magazines, I worked in an organization that was ninety-five percent female. Oh, the opposite, right. Yeah, completely yeah. the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> um, although the 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 MD and a lot of the senior guys were, were were men, but there was much more of a balance there at that senior level. Mm. So again, I suppose I was really exposed to very strong females, very, right. very strong females yeah. at an early stage in that environment. And then when I went into the Welcome Trust, again, you know, the chairman was a woman. Um, so actually, you know, at that time, I had quite a lot of role models that were around yeah. that were kind of strong females. Um, I mean, I have often been the first person, you know, on a board where it's been a female. Mm. Um, and, you know, luckily that is changing now. Um, there's been one or two occasions where you feel it mm. and you feel like an outsider. Um, but you kind of just have to learn to get on with it. And mm. I tried never to be kind of one of those women that became aggressive or, mm. you know, more male in my style as a result of it. Um, you know, I, I see that sometimes where, you know, where people, uh, you know, work in very aggressive environments. Mm. I think the world of travel, which is kind of what I grew up in most, isn't an aggressive environment in mm. the same way that, say, it might be in the city, for example. Yeah. So even though 
you know, you break the ceiling a few times. I felt there were really good role models around mm. and that I was able to sort of, you know, you know, work work it through if I did feel any challenges. Yeah. And and you know, that that's so important, isn't it? Role models, you know, because I think if you can spot other people and think, oh actually, yeah, that I could do that then. It gives yeah. you the confidence, doesn't it, to sort of push forward. And I remember when 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 uh, I came into first choice and you were instrumental in, <laughs> in in recruiting me into first choice and at the time it was a bonkers sort of situation really because I remember you know first choice were fourth in the market really That's almost right. like the yeah. challenger if you like yeah. the disruptor in that mainstream tour operating and almost punching big, way, above, way above the weight at the time and um, I remember when I uh, I got approached to, to join First Choice and I kind of came for I think I had about four or five interviews with various people with Dermot and Neil and yourself and what have you and um and, and there wasn't really a job at the time. It no. was more like, just let's just spot people, get them in and figure out what to do with them afterwards. Yeah. Um, and, and that was quite a unique approach. And yeah. it was what appealed to me. Lot. We did it a lot, actually. You know, <laughs> we really did it a lot. And, you know, I think you had been spotted on some 30 under 30 I'd talent got an award. thing. And you got I, an award. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to read the TTG or the Travel Weekly or whatever it was and go through all the people that kind of had won these awards and thought, you know, we should kind of meet with them. And, you know, and also through conversations with Dermot and Neil, who were in those kind of senior roles at the mm. time, would say, well, you know, do we think we need to strengthen our product? Do we need to strengthen our pricing? Yeah. And, you know, I would then just sometimes speculatively see people and get them in and, and then we'd shape a job around it. And, mm. you know, actually I went on to do that quite a lot over the years, particularly at TUI. Other organisations probably not so much, but mm. I think it's a really great way to bring talent in and you can you know, really shape an organisation um, differently by making sure that you're bringing in that talent and how they can add value. Yeah, and you were, I mean, you were massively instrumental in my career and, and sort of helping me on the way at, at TUI and at First mm. Choice. And I remember when there was a, there was a point when, I think I was reporting into Peter Long and you said to me, oh, you know, this is going to be a bit different for you because you're straight into Peter and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you said, I, I really think you'd, you'd benefit from having a coach. Yeah. And it was you that initiated me to have a great coach at the time. And she massively helped me, you know, sort of navigate through that change in my career. Um, and I'll be forever grateful um, because that really helped me. You you helped me a lot. So oh, I thank you. you know, <laughs> no, no, but seriously. And, uh, and it's great that we sit here and, and we can yeah. chat about this stuff all these years later. But I do think that sort of innovative way to approach in talent is is quite unique and, and you don't see it everywhere. Um, so, so no, that was wonderful. And you talked a little bit earlier, Jackie, about, um, other people spotting potential in you. Yeah. Maybe even before you did yourself. Yeah. Um, how, how important was that then, do you think, in terms of giving you encouragement to... Yeah, I mean, really amazing, actually, because I think if I think about Colonel Adams, you know, who sort of said, you know, and I was 16 when I started working for him. You know, <laughs> if I think about that now, and, you know, I was a PA to the kind of personnel um, director, and, um, you know, he sort of said, Jackie, you know, I think you're really bright, you know, and why don't you do your A-levels? And I never even, you know thought about that so he obviously spotted something in Mm. me and it was quite interesting because I kept in touch with him right to the point probably um where I became the HR director of distribution in in first choice Mm. and and he lived until his 90s so I felt quite proud that he was able to kind of see how my career had progressed and then when I went to um Hearst magazines again I had a boss who I mean I, I told you it was an overnight shock when he basically called me in one day and said you know I can't run this department anymore I think you should and, you know, that's probably one of the hardest things to do is to take over from your peer group. Yes. You know, when, you know, really, I'd had 18 months experience working with them and only three years, what I call real core HR experience previous mm. to that. Um, and he just always said to me, and again, someone else I keep in touch with, I just knew that you could do it. And you stood out from the your peers and you were always thinking about the business and you weren't doing things just that you thought would benefit you. You were doing things that would really drive the business forward and you really mm-hmm. understood it. Um, you know, I can't tell you how scared I was when I got that role and and I'd come home and, and say, oh God, I just don't know if I can do it. But, you know, I never gave that impression, I don't think externally, but yeah. internally it was all going on. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it was good for him that he spotted that. I also felt like that at, at TUI at times, mm-hmm. you know, 
I never wanted to be the group HR director. I was pretty happy doing the UK role. Uh, you know, and you know what it's like when you're doing a, a, a divisional role. Everyone hates group. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I remember, you know, Bill Logan, who was the group HR director at the time, said, well, but how would you feel if someone else comes in and does it? Yeah. You know, and then you'd be doing all the work. So I thought, oh, okay, you know. Uh, and so, so I just went for it. But, you know, I never really thought that I wanted it until until then it's offered you and you think well actually why not you know but um and then he was the same so he was the one that encouraged me to Mm. to to think about it yeah Um, and and I mean obviously during the time you've worked in some amazing businesses but internationally as well and mm. that changed from the UK to I mean obviously crazy times when we were doing stuff in Russia and China and all sorts of stuff but then obviously you were actually living in Amsterdam weren't you with with the role at Vion um so Talk, talk about that cultural piece a bit, Jackie, and kind of what your experience has been. And also for a business that might be thinking around growing internationally, what are the things that you would recommend they watch out for when you're doing that? Because it is a very different beast, it is. I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you think about TUI, you know, TUI grew into this global organisation. Mm. And I think that we did internationalise it quite a bit towards the end of my tenure there. Yeah. Um, when I went to Vion, I mean, Vion was... Um, is a you know is a 50,000 55,000 employees um ranging as i said from russia to pakistan to bangladesh the head office in amsterdam had 64 nationalities uh, wow. in it when i went there almost hardly anyone was dutch actually um so it was a, it was a kind of group of people that came together representing the countries that vion um, operated in um but working in a kind of a, a group sort of head office so culturally that was really quite interesting um, I think, it, and you will know this, that the kind of Russian culture mm. is quite a challenge yeah. to kind of work in. Um, and Vion also was probably operating, even though it was listed on the NASDAQ and the Euronext, um, it operated much more like a PE house because right. it's owned by, um, you know, the largest shareholder in, is Letter One Um Letter one technology. So um, it operated more like that. So there were lots of cultural dynamics there. So a very strong Russian culture, a very strong PE culture, plus all of these nationalities coming together. Um, great experience, though, because I was brought in to help shift the culture, to build trust and confidence. There'd been quite a kind of concern regarding you know employee engagement mm. um, and so I was able to go in and, and and I suppose try and shift things so that we were honest and transparent and particularly even when you make difficult decisions yeah. being completely honest about that um, and I think the other thing that it did you know it really changes your perception around different countries I think sometimes when you're totally western you kind of think everything that you do in the west is fantastic and innovative and really ahead of the game i have to tell you i was blown away by our business in pakistan which is called jazz um and that was just amazing in terms of how innovative it was how ahead it was in terms of technology Mm. how it had leapt you know leapfrogged you know other in other countries because Mm. of the you know, buoyancy and also the well-educated, uh, well-educated workforce that it had. So I think from a culture point of view, um, had to really try to learn to blend different cultures and bring it mm. together, but recognise that, you know, there's local cultures that really are prevalent and you have yeah. to work with those. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's right, isn't it? Not trying to apply a sort of Western approach to doing business because nine times out of ten you'll, you'll fail and yeah. just just piss everyone off exactly. in the process. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were doing that role, because I, I mean, a big pro- I always remember how great you were at being on the ground a lot with the with the teams. You know, you weren't just sitting in head office kind of working on HR policy and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's an element of that that you have to do. But you were very much sort of very on the front line, you know, with spending time with people to really understand. Was that the case then as well? Because that must have been a, yeah, a real challenge. Yeah, I did. I went round to every one of those countries and mm. just to meet people. And um, I mean, the role was slightly different at a group level. So I wasn't having to be so operational because it was so decentralized yeah. and, and everything operated under different brands. But as you know, I, I'm a great believer that the frontline staff know much better than the senior management mm-hmm. in many cases how yeah. you can improve the business. And so I always kind of made it my business whenever I went to those countries to get access to those people and really 
find out what's going uh, going on on the ground so that we can impl- you know we could um, improve the employee experience as much mm. as possible yeah and be- when we were chatting before we started recording we were talking about um personalities and about how I'm a real show off and I uh, love being out there and it's all about me <laughs> and and probably a bit like your husband and, uh, <laughs> from what you described but you're much more of an introverted yeah. character which is probably not what people would expect no. from someone in HR who has had you know such a a material senior role with so many people that you deal with day in day out so how how does that play out in reality your natural personality being more introverted and yet having to be out there yeah um, I mean I've just learned to sort of do it slightly better I remember you know earlier on you know I mean absolutely feeling physically sick having to sort of do any public speaking mm-hmm. um, and I still really hate it um, but you know it's like anything that you if you prepare for it um, you coach yourself through it or get coached through it mm. you just get better and it feels more comfortable um, so I've got more comfortable doing it um, but as a person naturally I will be much more introverted and um, I remember at EasyJet actually uh, you know having to do that quite a lot and yeah. and, and people saying and, and Carolyn remember saying to me once well Jackie you know people think you're a little bit unapproachable and I said oh god Carolyn I'm not at all <laughs> firstly I've got a resting bitch face I, I can't do anything <laughs> about that that's just how I look and secondly um I'm actually really shy and I just don't know how to make yeah. small talk if people do it for me I'm great yeah but initiating it is often quite hard and actually it was a great piece of feedback because I never knew people thought that yeah. so when I was there I worked really hard at it to try and be a lot better mm. uh, at sort of being a bit more outgoing um, and you know it, you know I fit it according to the business you're working in really yeah and I think I think leaders come in all shapes and sizes mm. I mean I think you know we were talking about how stuff has changed over the years and I think almost like the classic sort of you know front-facing leader would be naturally seen as sort of being probably more flamboyant kind of out there charismatic whereas I think now in today's business world you you can be more of your own personality mm. and still be very effective in in a job and it's yeah. not all about being you know the show off and and the loud person yeah, yeah, actually yeah. and I think that's and some changed. people are just really good at, at that and, yeah. and that's their natural style I think yeah. if you work too much against your natural style it becomes exhausting well, yeah. yeah, and hard to keep up, yeah, right? Exactly. Jeez, I mean, and at some point you probably get found out. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and they will yeah. go, hang on a minute, this yeah. is this is not who we thought you were. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. And so, if you were advising someone, well, a woman, let's talk about women in business, a woman in business that wants to progress in a, to a senior role, board, or, or whatever level, either in HR or out of HR, what are the kind of the main pieces of advice you would give to to someone that really wants to progress? Um, given that you've had all these years of experience? Yeah, I'm not sure there's kind of one thing that, you know, <laughs> really works for everyone. I, I, I've always found just being really focused, just, you know, work hard, know your stuff, mm. um, you know, really do things that, you know, you believe add value to the business. And I think that it, these days, it, hopefully, I hope it's easier for women. Mm. You know, I think that there's so much mentoring and coaching available. So a couple of things, I think if you can get coaching and mentoring, I would take it, yeah. you know, try and get yourself some sponsorship internally. I think that also helps, mm. you know, and um, make yourself visible um, to senior management, put yourself forward for stretch projects or things that are out of your comfort zone. Mm. Um, I think if you do things sometimes that are out of your comfort zone, you will learn far more yeah. um, than things that you think that you will naturally excel at Um, and I think a combination of those things can you know can can help people Mm. Um, and different organizations are are very different Um, but you know access to those senior people and and those sponsorship I think can often make a really big difference yeah yeah and it's interesting I mean I I read a few years ago um, the book Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg I don't know if you have read that yeah yeah. And, and she talks very much around uh, kind of there isn't really a, a career ladder as such I think she describes it as like a jungle gym yeah um so Sheryl Sandberg for those that don't know is the COO of Facebook um and and obviously you know massively senior role there but it's a great book but I think that's absolutely right what you're saying it's good advice because almost put your way put yourself in the way of opportunity even if it doesn't seem like a natural next career move yeah. because you never know where it might lead right yeah um, I mean, that certainly was the case 
when I ended up going to Russia, yeah. I wouldn't have ever said, exactly. well, yeah. this is my natural next career move yeah. I had and in mind. No, Russia and India. <laughs> and you think about what you would have learned during those times. Oh, yeah. And I think also, you know, sometimes it's also about sideways. I've made a sideways moves a couple of times mm. consciously. Yeah. Um, and those turned out to be the best things I ever did. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I remember one time at, at, at First Choice, you know, doing a role in the business improvement team for a year mm. where we just really worked on operating models. Um, I ended up working on operating models ever since after that, even when I went <laughs> back in HR, but that was quite a good, a good move. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, as, as you did a lot, taking on stretch projects mm. or unusual roles, it gets your name known out there as someone who can take on difficult challenges. Yeah, and you learn, you just do learn so much, don't mm. you? Even though you, it feels like, oh my God, God, I mean, this podcast, you know, brave, bold, brilliant. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so just <laughs> taking that deep breath and going, yeah, come on, I can do this, I can do this, you know, yeah. and almost having that inner conversation yeah. with yourself. I think the other thing I do quite often, and you might not know this about me, Jeanette, but Every now and again in my personal life, I really put myself out of my comfort zone. So, you know, I've done the Gunner Great Wall of yes, China and gosh, I walked the Inca yeah, Trail. And I'm not, a, I'm not sporty like you and, you know, man of exercise. But every now and again, I think it's really great to sort of challenge yourself and do something that no one else thinks. Do you remember when I did the marathon? And, yeah. And that started because um, my husband said, oh, God, you can't even get off the sofa. And I wrote, right, I'll show you. I've never <laughs> run in my life, but I'm going to do the London Marathon. And I did. And do you remember? Yeah, you know, when I, I do. Did that. It was incredible. And, um, and I think that's sometimes really good as well to sort of, you know, I don't always do it consciously, but I have to tell you, when I walk the Inca Trail, you know, and I've got a friend of mine that we do these trips, I do these trips with, and it was just horrendous. I thought I'm never going to be able to do this. I hadn't trained that well and it was just so hard mm. um, and we did the hard route there's two routes you can do and we did the really hard route but the feeling of achievement when you do it is brilliant mm. and then we've done a couple of since and I always when I'm doing it I say to her if I tell you we're doing this again you talk me out of it you remind me how much I hate this <laughs> and I moan to her and then literally three weeks after we get back I said where should we go next then <laughs> I love that but that is such great advice and you're right aren't you because when you're full on with work you know you're always thinking about career and work and stuff but you're right challenge yourself in your personal life is um is is, is you know and, and I guess you learn a lot about yourself I mean yeah. it's, you, it's quite a spiritual thing to to do like you know when you get to Machu Picchu and you well, sort yeah of- well, they're amazing trips um firstly you know you you really do shut the world out because mm. often you can't get the internet or you can't be on your phone um you know we always do it for charity so yeah. we're doing it with people from all walks of life and actually quite a lot of women do these trips that mm. we've done um, no one cares who you are no one even asks what you do for a living and you're staying in the most basic hideous conditions I mean there are some times where you can't even have a shower because the facilities are so bad yeah. that you wouldn't put yourself through it um, and you know I know people wouldn't think about me necessarily doing those things but they're some of the best trips that I've ever done yeah mostly because of the people we've done but the feeling of achievement when you actually do it is just amazing yeah and then you come back and you've learned something about yourself haven't yeah. you thank god for wet wipes right exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> no it's really inspiring and I just think as well that sometimes we um, we never give ourselves time to stop yeah. you know, we're always progressing there's always something else to do and we don't really pause for breath that often um, and to do something like that you know it, it forces really, you to pause yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and you're doing a lot like you know you're doing stuff for char- charity yeah. as well so happy days right so what's the next what's the next well, challenge we're meant, to be, we're meant to be doing the Sahara Desert uh, in November and um, but obviously we, it's been we, we couldn't do it because yeah. of um, Covid so we're going to do that next and we've got three more that we want to do and my friend Christina doesn't necessarily know that we're doing these yet but <laughs> I've been planning them so we're going to do Kilimanjaro at some point and then we're going to do um every space camp before we're 60 fantastic so christina yeah. when you're listening to this episode you just found out what's what's in store for you over the next few years jackie's got it all planned out for you <laughs> see quietly controlling those. yeah maybe, see, see maybe. she'll go for it i know she will <laughs> well you're obviously a little bit of competition there as well yeah, maybe yeah. We'll do well, we've been own. friends since we were 11 oh, so and wow. um, you know that's the other thing i've got two really good friends christina and another friend called jackie and we've known each other since um 
kind of first and second year of secondary school. So, you know, it, it's great also to have that kind of grounding with people that know you for, for that long. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And, and with your family then, being one of six, just talking about sort of earlier years and, you know, great friends that you've got there and there. Do you are you are you still quite a close knit family? Yeah, yeah. With, with the six of you. Yeah. Well, sadly, my brother died quite oh. a long time ago. Um, but um, I see my sisters a lot. I've got another brother, and I see them. He move, moves away, so I don't see him so much. But I see my sisters a lot. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. So your mum. So so Irish Catholic yeah. background. Yeah. Um, was it quite? Was religion a big thing in the family when you yeah, were growing big, up? Yeah, big big thing and you know um quite sort of strong catholics which Mm. always amazed me actually about my mother why she was because she was brought up in one of those industrial schools in in ireland which um you know that's a whole other story really but um i i was amazed that she had such kind of regard for the church given um you know the experience that she had Mm. um but yeah no it's a you know large catholic family so Does your mum talk about those years? Because because sometimes parents are funny, aren't they? They don't, you know. There's almost like a lot of this stuff. Well, that's we gone only in found out it. about it recently. Well, probably you know, 15 years ago mm. or so. I mean, she'd always make sort of some reference to it. Yeah. Um, but she, um, there was a big thing in Ireland, probably about 15, 16 years ago, where they were. Um, seeking redress for kind of all the people that had been taken into these schools wow. and the kind of you know what they'd suffered so it came up then um uh and so you know she was trying to get some sort of um you know compensation she got some but it, it was minimal really compared to kind of what she kind of had to go through mm. um and now she she talks about it relatively openly um but you know amazing um that she was able to have such a balanced life herself i think considering yeah. kind of what she went through i mean you know you know sadly for her i think it meant that you know she wasn't well educated um which is a, a product of that kind of her mm. own upbringing mm. um but she was really determined that for us that we wouldn't have that um, yeah. and she's like a lioness with her children you know <laughs> a real really lioness you know so <laughs> incredibly so, we're, so yeah so we know is you know if anyone knows my mum you know she'd be if she'd be embarrassingly kind of proud of her kids and uh, talks about them all the time so yeah um, brilliant yeah, yeah. and and you see you see you you were saying earlier you see her quite a lot uh, yeah I yeah. see her quite a lot yeah because yeah. yeah. family I think those early years when you're growing up you know uh, they stay with you don't they you yeah. know the values that are sort of instilled in you yeah. from being a kid they certainly I know for me um, and it's interesting actually because again when it comes to things like money uh, money mindset you know I mean when we were growing up we, we were we were always comfortable you know we, we I came from a, a normal working class family you know there was there was always food on the table and there was a lot of laughter and, and actually we did have holidays so we were quite we were quite fortunate but there wasn't, you know, we didn't live an affluent lifestyle at all. And almost, you know, some of the phrases, oh, money doesn't, it doesn't grow on trees, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness and all this kind of attitude to, to wealth and, and good fortune, I suppose. Did you have that as a, as a, as a kid or, or? Well, my parents so always worked really hard. And I think, no matter mm. what the circumstances, when you've got sort of six children, it's a, it's a challenge. And my mum never worked, you know, yeah. she, I think, well, she did, but she worked her hard, for, you know, bringing up sort yeah, of six course, children. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was quite a sort of tight environment, mm. and um, you know, I, I had a Saturday job when I was sort of thirteen, really, and um, and we've all worked, you know. So you know, my you know brother sisters all, have all worked mm. all, all the time, so got a strong kind of work ethic. Um, I think that we probably have slightly different views on money. Um, you know, I've you know I've kind of been obviously successful, so mm. I've been quite quite comfortable. Yeah, and um, and my brothers and sisters have worked really really hard. Um, but stayed pretty local to kind of where they've come from. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you just learn the value of it, don't you? And you never take it for granted. I, mm. I certainly don't, yeah. you know. Um, and, and I've never forgotten what it's like to live hand to mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, I always used to be mindful of that in various roles that I had, you know, how important it was that people should get paid on time, that it should be accurate, that we mm. should never, you know, never underestimate kind of, how people's lives are yeah you know it's easy sometimes the more senior you for, that you get that you can be removed from that yes yeah. um, and I think it's really important particularly when you've got a large um, number of frontline staff yeah. um, you know who 
who in some circumstances don't earn a lot of money. No, no, exactly. Because, I mean, what's the most people you've had under under your responsibility then with the various companies, would you say? Well, I suppose TUI would have been the largest when we had, what, 77,000 yeah. employees. It's huge, isn't it, when you think about it? Mm. Gosh. Yeah, it's a phenomenon. And you're right, you know, it, people's normal lives are affected, aren't they, by what happens at work. So yeah. being treating them in the right way with respect and, and everything. And when you look back through your career, Jackie, and you um, can you pinpoint any sort of key highlights that stand out as like real wow moments um i think when um when we were working on the merger of, of first choice and thompson that mm. was a real kind of moment i think when mm. um you know a year after that merger and there were quite a lot of challenging decisions and um you know we were monitoring kind of engagement during that time um i think there was a real moment sort of about a year afterwards when we thought wow we've we've made this a really big success you yeah. know the 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 you know we drew a line in the sand people talked about tui not first choice and thompson the leadership team was really balanced the engagement scores for employees even though we'd made a lot of challenging decisions were Mm. were, were doing really well i felt pretty proud of that and the team that kind of worked with and Mm. just had such a brilliant time i mean you know i I would have worked for free um at at tui at times because Mm. i loved every day of it so much and so I think that was a real kind of wow kind of moment um EasyJet there was another kind of couple of wow moments when you know really some challenging discussions as you can imagine with unions and you know but I think that I got you know got to get a really good relationship with with those and I, I got some really good emails when I left um EasyJet from and one guy from the um kind of the you know the union uh quite a senior official kind of wrote to me and he wrote a really really nice email about you know how I'd sort of you know built trust and and had good communication and had the right kind of style to work with them and you know I know that praise like that doesn't come very easily so yeah. I think that was that felt like a wow moment to me it wasn't it may not be a big achievement you know to other people but it mm. felt quite special that someone had taken the time to kind of write to me and, and and say such a nice thing yeah that's amazing and also you just never know the impact you're having do you, you never know who's watching you or, or even if mm. you're not having a direct conversation with someone you can really move people yeah. can't you in in such a material way um, yeah, well, they're, they're two amazing examples. So any kind of low points where you look back and you think, oh, my God, that was tough and it wasn't enjoyable and you really had to dig deep to kind of keep going? Yeah, I think my last job was like that, you know, um, just because, you know, the role I was recruited for turned out to be quite different to the one that it eventually became. Um, and that was quite a tough environment. You know, mm. it was a really tough culture where, as I said to you, there's a lot of distrust and I had to really turn that around. And there would be moments where, you know, I I look back and think I would get up in the morning and say to myself, I've just got to breathe to get through the day. Wow. And that took a lot, you know, took a lot of energy, but I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from the people. I couldn't, I couldn't leave the team that I had there until I'd done a lot to try and amend the make make the situation better mm. um and you know when i look back i think well why did i stay um but when you come through the other side you realize that you've kind of you have made a difference to people's lives and also you've learned a lot about yourself because mm. i think the one thing i do know about myself is i have huge resilience mm. and you know it's been tested on a number of occasions but that last job was as tough as it comes and quite hard to describe um, you know, when you're not in it, yes, you know, yeah. but really, really digging as deep as it, as I could to get through it. And, and, and what are the things that were important at that time to sort of help you get through? I think um, making sure I didn't let people down, particularly my own team mm. and the employees. We were going through quite several reorganisations and, um, you know, some of those would be, you know, right things for the business but you know quite polar opposite to what maybe people have been told a year before and that's mm. always a challenge isn't it in, in yeah, communications yeah. you know you, you you often have tough calls to make mm. and I think the things that were important to me was to be truthful and honest and be really clear um, on in the communications and and that was really important 
mm. to me and made me and helped me get through it. Um, I think the other thing was to treat people, make sure that people were treated very well. Yeah. Um, and I felt the longer I was around, the more likely that was to happen. Mm. Yeah. So, so that was quite important. And I guess that's about being kind of clear on your purpose and what you what's the end yeah. game in a way, isn't it? And is that compelling enough to pull you through when when yeah. when the times yeah. are yeah. quite tough? I mean, I think you know, if you go anywhere. And you're lucky enough to leave it slightly improved from when you from when you started. Yeah, I think sometimes that's the most you can hope for. And mm. in that particular environment, that was the most I could hope for. Yeah, that I rebuilt trust and confidence. Um, was able to be, you know, very honest with people, and and that was something that they were kind of really, you know. Um, crying out for yeah um and I brought clarity to people whereas you know there'd been a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty before Mm. um but you know the most difficult environment I've ever ever worked in and not one I would want to repeat Mm. but one where you know I I think if I can get through that I can do anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) you are very tenacious Jackie you see so so you know people wouldn't necessarily well they know you you obviously achieved a huge amount but bloody hell yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with you would you (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're saying Jeanette I'm really nice in a good way though that tenacity and that even when it's tough you just kind of you know really grit your teeth and, yeah. and get through it and yeah. that's sometimes people maybe see see an image don't they of someone and, and don't realize actually the the inner strength behind and, yeah. and just because you're quietly spoken and very polite and, and not necessarily the sort of out there personality actually that steely determination behind yeah you know still glove in a, a still still fist in a in a in a velvet, velvet, velvet glove, glove. <laughs> <laughs> or, or whatever the saying yeah. is fantastic but anyway, you don't have to be uh, you, you don't have to be aggressive or no mean yeah. or you know I, I would hope that I wouldn't be ever seen like that mm. but you know, I think that you know you just sometimes have to have that kind of inner steel to get through difficult challenges. Yeah. And there's been quite a number over the years. Um, and most of the time, you know, you have someone who has your back. Mm. Um, I think the last role was more challenging because I wasn't convinced that I did. And, yeah. You know, in, in the end, I did have someone who had my back. Um, and actually afterwards, um, you know, we talked about it. We'd both kind of left the company and realised that she was feeling, you know, quite the same that, that I was. But yeah. of course... You can't voice that at the time because you need to keep each other going. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously you've got well, not obviously actually people might not know this, but you've got two two lovely daughters. Yeah, I have. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so how are you, how have you balanced over the years, or have you not balanced <laughs> the whole sort of working mum, big high pressured, you know, very senior exec role with family life and and bringing up the kids? Because all these roles that you've had, are, you know, you, the girls would have been quite young, presumably. Yeah, that, you I know. mean when I. I was at um, I mean I one of the reasons I moved out of um, Hearst magazines actually was because I had my second baby when I was working there and I was doing a very long commute into London mm. and I felt that you know I, I didn't want to be the sort of person who was rushing to get a train every night so that's and so I ended up working closer to home yeah so in those early years it was pretty much fine you know I'd get home to have dinner most nights so mm. I think as I got more senior I was traveling a lot it changed quite a lot mm. But Stuart was always flexible. In fact, he probably took more of a back seat and, and turned down roles that he could have taken mm. in order to be um, closer to home. And I think we both realised early on that we both couldn't work in corporate kind of life and yeah. have a family life at the same time. Mm. And you end up making compromises. Um, and he you know, was very involved in cricket and youth development. And so he really created a career where he could be flexible. Mm. Um, and the girls, you know, they they um, recognised the sort of, you know, sacrifices we made. In fact, it was interesting because when I left Tui, I said, well, shall I give up work now and I can be home? And they were like, uh, no, mum, please, please go to work. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> That's what I said. Well, what, what do you mean? And they're like, no, you'll be too controlling. You'll be organising our lives. <laughs> I can't imagine Stuart gave them an easy ride there. No, you know, no, but, no yeah. not at all. But yeah. I think they thought I might be worse. Yeah. Not, not because I'd be strict but because I've been questioning what they're doing all the time and everything so uh, but you know they're both um doing quite well and um have turned out to be quite sort of strong women themselves so um well it's coming yeah. back to the role model piece yeah. right from yeah. where, we, where we started the conversation because that's important I think isn't yeah. it you know you want yeah. to I don't know 
have it, put a hand down to, to, to help the next, the next yeah. sort of, you know, female or male leader up yeah. the ladder, you know. Yeah, you just, I mean, I think with them, I just want them to have choices. I think a yeah. good education gives you choice. Mm. You know, I think, you know, again, one of the things I learned is that, um, you know, if you're, if you educate yourself, whether that's formal or informally, um, that can just all only benefit you. Yeah, yeah. And and opens your mind, doesn't it, to, to yeah. possibilities that maybe you hadn't actually even considered ever. Yeah. So last couple of questions then, Jackie. So what would you say has been the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, I mean, couple, actually. In, in one, you know, particularly early on in my HR career, um, you know, HR can often be seen as a support function mm. that, you know, is supporting the business let me say that mm. and I think one piece of advice I got quite early on is you have the right to have a view on how this business is run mm. and don't be afraid to voice that view yeah and I think that was quite good advice early on because sometimes you know you could be hesitant you think well I'm not running a PL and do I really know this but actually that was a really good piece of advice because mm. quite often um you know, you know more than you think you do and you just might hold back in, in saying that. So I think that was a really kind of good good piece of advice. Mm. Um, I think um, another piece of advice is also uh, around sort of really think about, you know, where you want to bring value to a business mm. and focus on that. Mm. Don't try and do everything. Just really think about those, you know, that work that is going to do, is going to be, what the business needs, not necessarily what people tell you they want. Yeah. And I think in HR, quite often you get that, you know, you get a CEO or an MD who's kind of got a particular view and, and you know, and and trying to decipher, you know, wants from needs is also quite a challenge. So I think those have been two sort of, you know, pieces of advice that I've got over the, over the years that I've kind of stayed true to. And and I think the other, the third one is always surround yourself with really capable people. Mm. And if you can, people that, you know, and often are much better than you. Yeah, no, uh, mm. that's absolute gold. Because actually, yeah. that doesn't matter whether you're in a, a big corporate organisation or you're a, you know, an entrepreneur in a startup business. The principles still apply, don't they? I think they're yeah. a really good piece of advice. And have you ever had any bad advice? Uh, probably, um, uh, but <laughs> you can remember. I'm but maybe probably, just I just it. ignored it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I probably have. I probably have, but. Um, you know, you, you you learn different things from different people that you kind of work with over the years, don't you? Mm. So, um, you know, you kind of learn to sort of pick up and, and, and have your own mind. And I think it's only probably in recent years that I realise how much I do have my own mind. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, that's a perfect way to, to finish the podcast because you are brave, bold and brilliant. Of um, course, Jackie. Oh, thanks, Jeanette. Great <laughs> to see you again. And thanks for inviting me on. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. 